Welcome to Overanalyzing, a conversational podcast that explores pop culture, literature, and media. I'm Paige, and I'm here this week with my brother Cole to overanalyze Parasite, an Academy Award-nominated Korean film that's equal parts comedy, drama, and thriller. Let's get into it. Here we are. Here we are. Wow. Once again, it's us. It's Paige and Cole, your two favorite overanalyzers, the only ones, Mm -hmm. actually. (laughs) Ever. Ever. And we're here- To overanalyze anything. Right. And we're here today to discuss Parasite, a movie- (sighs) Oof. Oof. A movie Cole told me about many months ago and that I had seen circulating online and- I'm so excited to finally get into it today because it's one of those movies where you told me about it and I said, okay, what's the gist? What's the deal? And you could not tell me a single thing about it before I saw it. No, I couldn't. I refused to even. And that is because the movie is something that's so much better if you go in with no understanding of anything about it ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Don't you think? No, 100%. It's because it's indescribable. It's like 14 genres in one, which we'll discuss later. But yeah, I feel like with most Bong Juno movies, who is the director of this, you need to just go in blind because the twists and turns are, uh, they're so amazing to experience. They really are. And I even have that feeling of sadness now after, similar to when you finish a really amazing book and you have the sense of sadness knowing you'll never read it again with fresh eyes. And I feel that now where I want to see this movie again. And the second time viewing it will offer its own unique experience. But I am sad knowing that I'll never be quite as thrilled and shocked as I was when I saw it in theaters. No, yeah. Like I was multiple times like full gasp. Oh my fucking God. Yes. Moments. Yes. Constantly. I left the theater and Kyle and I sat in in my car and I I couldn't even speak. I wanted to immediately usually we immediately start downloading after we see a film. Mm. What were your mm-hmm. thoughts? Did you love it? What could you think? And both of us were speechless. It took a while to actually gather my thoughts and be able to be at a place where I feel like I can actually process and talk about it. No, yeah, completely. I like I mean it's art. Most of the time I see a movie, I'm like, not that all movies aren't art, but if it's a fun movie, I'm like, yeah, let's talk about our favorite scenes and stuff. But no, I fully had to just like sit in it and be blown away for like a good 10 minutes afterward. Agreed. It's too much. Agreed. So that said, if you haven't seen it, what are you doing? Get out there and watch it. I mean... Like, I, I, I encourage you to watch our other episodes or listen to our other episodes if you haven't uh, watch Call Me By Your Name or watched you, but this one, like, get out of here. Get out of here. You can't... I need you to go. Yeah, you can't be part of this discussion unless you have seen it. <laughs> and y- you won't want to be because it's Because not, it deserves it. It deserves it. It needs your attention. This is one of the best films I've seen in the last decade, maybe in my entire life. It is truly Yeah, I was going to say, what, what movies did you see in the previous <laughs> decades? <laughs> I'm now... <laughs> Now I would be embarrassed to even call out the movies I loved because they just feel so inadequate compared to this. Mm. Like you said, this is truly, this is high art. 
this film. No, and... yeah, it's masterful mm-hmm. in terms of like filmmaking too. Just like the the direction and like the audio editing, the the regular editing, just like the the pacing of the movie. It's all so unbelievably perfect, or at least to to the untrained eye, right? Like I'm not claiming to be like a film critic here, but it just felt masterful to me, 100%. Things that are masterful, they're masterful because you watch it and you don't necessarily know why at first. Mm. It takes you a while to truly understand the genius behind it because you just see something, things that are done well, you don't know how much work often goes into them. You just know Mm. that that worked for whatever reason, that did it for me. And I felt what the director intended you to feel. And then you can go back later and really unpack it and parse it apart. So I'm no, that's totally true. To do that, and if that's uh, hopefully that convinced you, if you have yet to see it, and if you have seen it, then hopefully you're as excited as we are. I hope you better be. You better be. Again, if not, leave. Get out of here. <laughs> no dissenting opinions on this one. So, with that, what did you think of the first part of the movie? It's it's really broken into these very distinct parts, and and for the first maybe it's half of the film, it's a comedy. And I mm. was cracking up. And so what were your thoughts on how it was set up and everything about that? I thought it was so good. Like, that that's what, I mean, that's the twist, right? Is that the beginning is so unlike the ending. And you really did have, like, no clue where it's going in the beginning. But yeah, it's just, like, it's comedic. It's so enjoyable. You're getting this thrill out of watching a family sort of exploit these clueless rich people and it's so fun you're rooting for them and then everything takes a whole ass turn but yeah I don't I, know what do you think made the the first part so enjoyable and like I think it was y- hilarious immediately mm. you you're really just rooting for these these characters the Kim family and mm-hmm. you they do a good job of instantly setting you up to sympathize for them we see their physical dwellings, which is mm. a small apartment that's below the ground level and has... It's a, it's a semi-basement, which is popular in um, in Korea and bigger cities. Right. And where we... you're underground, but there's like a window, so... Yes, exactly. So yeah. they have a window looking up, and but the, the window is barred, and that's mm. the very first scene of the movie is showing some socks hanging up drying near the window that's barred. Mm. And you see out onto the street level, and they frequently are upset when drunk partiers come into the alleyway and will take a pee right in front of their home, and they yell. And so they're, they set up this funny thing, but you feel sympathy for these characters who clearly have to work hard and are getting, you know, are all doing this job making these pizza boxes and then not exactly getting treated fairly and, but instantly, not not exactly, (laughs) but then instantly you see them being really clever right away. I think that's Mm. in the first five minutes where the son, Kiwu, says, oh, okay, you're having trouble with this. Do you need a full-time person? Let me step in. What do you think about that? Yeah. And they're very smart, persistent, savvy people. You can tell instantly that the Kims are resourceful. I think it, it, one of the funniest things to me was in the beginning when the dad, there are, um, there's some, what is it, smoke or? Oh, they're like, 
uh, using like insecticides on the street or something. Yeah, and he and they said, "Oh, shut the window, shut the window." And he says, "No, leave it open. We'll get, we'll get free." Uh, yeah, whatever that's called, free extermination. Yes, and yeah, I thought that was hilarious. And so they know how to kind of work the system, and you're happy think, for them with that. I think it's funny though that you like. Or that you're made to find that so funny because I think that's the brilliance of it, right? Like, if the beginning of this movie were framed in any different way, you would just feel so deeply sad because the state that they're living in is horrific. I mean, they're victims of, like, an extremely capitalist um, sort of society that they live under, right? Like, they are a full family who are all struggling to find jobs, but they're all really clever too. So you're seeing that they're not like inept, but they are quite literally downstream of like the excrement of random drunk people. Right. It's not an an enviable situation. No, absolutely not. But I think it's cool that you find them so funny because I think oftentimes like when you, or when people are trying to appeal to upper classes, um, using sympathy you get those kind of commercials where it's like this child is hungry and needs like a nickel and Mm. it it almost removes the humanity of those people because they're just like objects to be pitied do you know what i mean completely where this you are presented with like a hilarious human cool interesting witty funny dynamic family but then also the entire time you're passively picking up on the terrible state that they're living in or right. that they're forced into. Right. They are down on their luck. and But you you have an absolute sense that they're going to be fine. And that's made just... Really? Did you, I don't know if I felt that. Well, I do when, when he meets up with his friend. I can't mm. remember the friend's name. And that's pretty early on in the movie. I think it's within the first 10 minutes or so. And... Instantly, you know that they're setting they're setting you up to see them go down this path of mm. a different experience because of this yeah. friend. And so he says, I have this tutoring job. I'm leaving. I'm going abroad and I can give it to you. And right mm. then is – maybe I didn't feel it necessarily before that, but right then I thought, okay, there's a little bit of hope mm. here, a little, a little okay. progress. He's going to take advantage of this opportunity. And then I think it just – it their their fortune it's starts to change within i think 15 minutes into the film so that's when i really w- and started to see their their cleverness so i think you really mm. get the sense pretty early on that they're resourceful they're smart they're going to do yeah. what it takes to figure their situation out i don't maybe i definitely agree with you in some respects but maybe it's because i think this was your first bong juno movie right Yes. Okay. Yeah, so for me, like, I've seen quite a few of his movies, and he's sort of known for ending the movies right back where they started, um, Mm. except with, like, a newfound sense of dread. So it's, like, the character, it's a very, like, a circular narrative, but then the ending is just bleak, and you're like, fuck, that's reality. And he sort of has this way of showing you, like, no matter what intense trauma like dramatic things that goes on with these characters the world just like keeps on turning and you're left 
sort of with this feeling of like, fuck, nothing changes. Even after this two hours that I just watched, like they're right back to it. So maybe it's because I knew that and had experience with his movies before. I was just so nervous, even from the beginning. Like, see, I had a completely different experience. Mm. I, I knew, I knew the film potentially had a dark side to it because of the fact that no one would talk about it. You know, t- typically <laughs> yeah. those types of movies are the ones people are reluctant to spill info on because mm. they don't want to reveal spoilers. But as and soon it, as the it movie... And it so critically acclaimed, which it's like a movie that funny. If it were to continue being a comedy, like I don't think it would have that same level of acclaim. I, you know? I agree. But I think that's the beauty of it because when you're someone mm. who glo- go- went into it blind like I did, you're, I was sitting there... And within five minutes, I completely forgot that maybe this was supposed to be a drama, that there was supposed oh, to, okay. that it was supposed to be a thriller. It went out of my head completely. Wow. I was totally absorbed in this family story. I thought maybe there's going to be some type of emotional family drama that occurs, but I didn't anticipate mm. the level of violence and and absurdity that went on later that that was the mm. furthest thing from my mind so i think bong juno did an amazing job of really captivating the audience with that beginning part and getting mm-hmm. you to just really love and root for the kims as soon i mean i it was one of those movies i'm so glad i saw it with another person because i was looking toward my husband the entire time every 5 seconds in the beginning to laugh and to be mm. like, this is so clever. I love this character. And then later on to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, no, and literally. It, yeah, but I think as soon as we see Kuo enter the park's home and mm. how he interacts with them and how he is so skillful at playing up to exactly what he knows they want. Mm-hmm. So he's really smart. He's really calm. He's very poised. He's humble, but he's informative. He hits every note perfectly right. And you instantly mm-hmm. think, or at least I did, this is a smart character. This is someone who's going to make mm-hmm. it. And when he mentioned, I know someone who who's an art teacher, I was like, I'm in on this movie because I could sense from then on where it was going with mm-hmm. the sister. And when she comes in and she, oh, she she's takes- so good. She's so phenomenal. That actress is incredible. And she takes that level, she takes his intelligence and resourcefulness to a different level and Mm -hmm. builds on it. And it's impossible not to enjoy that. Uh, No, for sure. Yeah. Oh, my God. Park Sodam, who plays the sister, was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, you're so excited by like, you're like, oh, the family's going to infiltrate. And then you maybe, or at least I was, I was thinking about the title. I was like, oh, Parasite, like they're entering into this parasitic relationship with this wealthy family and then Park So Dam comes in or what what's the sister's name is it um, It's uh Kijong I think Kijong Kijong yeah Kijong We will probably mispronounce every single Korean name Yes during this, apologies so. in advance Truly um but yeah no she's so good uh, and it's it's thrilling and you're so excited to see them I, but on top of that I I think it's interesting how there's this subtle commentary on the fact that normally I think we perceive really hyper wealthy people to be extremely smart, right? Like they 
must have been so clever in order to gain this wealth, in order to get the sort of power that they hold in the world. Um, but I think a lot of the time, like it's being, or it's becoming more and more clear, uh, or it's being talked about more often these days, the idea of generational wealth, or the fact that so many of these wealthy, powerful people didn't earn that wealth and power by merit. They just sort of stumbled into it. And you see that in the exchanges that, um, Kiwoo and Kijong have with the family because you sort of witness this like childlike innocence and ignorance that the Park family has because they have this money. Like they haven't been confronted with the real cruelty of the world and the deceitfulness of the world around them. So they're just so trusting of these characters who come into their home. You know what I mean? Completely. And and so when you saw that, did that make you how did that make you feel about their relationship? Because for me, right off the bat, I I, I was really endeared to Mrs. Park. I thought she mm. seemed – she was obviously naive. I think it was mm-hmm. Kiwu's friend in the beginning who described her as simple. And yes. she certainly is, but she – seemed really lovely and supportive and grateful for their help. And I thought I, I enjoyed her. And, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I was really excited that Kiwu and Kijong were taking advantage of her. And that was a weird, Mm -hmm. that's kind of a weird feeling to have as an, as a viewer of a show to be instantly pit against these two characters, but yet they're both really, really likable in the beginning, especially one thing I would say is that I, I felt the exact same way, right? Like, you're like, oh, this mom is so sweet. She just wants the best for her son. Um, and she's just so trusting and she's helping them. But you just said, like, that they're actually tricking her and, like, taking away from her. But in reality, I think you see that, like, there's no real harm in what they're doing. Do you know what I mean? Like, the daughter's getting good tutoring and the mom is getting this emotional piece Um through the art therapy that the daughter is making up. And so to me, it didn't feel like they were like defrauding her or, I mean, they were tricking her, but it didn't feel like that they were removing from her livelihood because that's the level of wealth they have is she can pay like a massive amounts of money to somebody who's just going to make up bullshit art therapy for her. No, that's why, that's why I loved it. I completely agree with you. It wasn't until they started involving the parents in their schemes mm. that I really started to feel a little unsettled about it. Even with the driver, I thought, okay, mm-hmm. well, whatever. He's young. He'll find another opportunity that's equally as good. Mm-hmm. But it's when they set out the plan, which was the most – it happened to also be the most complicated and difficult mm-hmm. to achieve, the plan of getting rid of – the original housekeeper, whose name I will most certainly say wrong, but I think it's Moon Guang or... Yeah, Moon Guang, something Moon Guang. like that. Her name isn't said often, but yes, the original housekeeper. The original housekeeper. And then I instantly thought, no, she's she's been lovely. She's been there for longer than the Park mm-hmm. family has even been there. And that felt all of a sudden, like we reached a different layer where I was thinking, mm-hmm. okay, I'm... I'm really excited for the Kim family to to capitalize mm-hmm. on this and take take advantage of these opportunities. And then I thought, I don't know about this one. As soon as we got okay. there, okay. But isn't it like so brilliant that? So I feel like 
Bonjuno sort of tricks you. You're like, oh, the the Kim family is parasitic, or they're a parasite um, on the Park family. But then you realize, like, the Park family is unharmed and unchanged by anything at all. The only people they're hurting are other service people. Right, that's why other I people felt... who <sighs> are like under servitude to the wealthy, like. I mean, that's, but that's exactly what happens in regular society, right? Like the rich are able to pit people of the same class against each other by convincing them that they're the enemy when it's like, no, y'all are facing the exact same struggles. Right. Yeah. You I know? completely it's, see that. Yeah. It happens in, in every ecosystem in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, or you every see, capitalist ecosystem, yeah. Right. You see women often being pitted against one another for job mm-hmm. opportunities or to get the one coveted position that will go to a woman instead of fighting against the system that set them up to be pitted exactly. against one another in the beginning. And, mm. you know, a, a lot of people are made to feel as though their only opportunities are ones that can be taken from someone who's at the same level as them. Yes. And... That's sadly true to a certain degree. (laughs) And so you see the Kim's experience that when, I mean, they're like, hey, we have to do what's best for us in this situation. And everyone else is doing what serves them. And that's what we're trying to do. And so Mm -hmm. when they execute that plan, I I had an initial feeling of, oh, no, this woman you know she's been so loyal to this to this mm-hmm. home and to this family how could you do that to her but then you also see the other side of it of there's an opportunity here or there's there's a potential for an opportunity they really create the opportunity mm-hmm. for themselves and i as much as that was hard for me to watch i loved it so much oh my God, the humor brilliant. the humor in the fact of when mr kim goes in, <laughs> when he goes into the trash can to retrieve oh the tissue God. that yes. Moon Guang threw in there and he pours the hot sauce on it to make it look like blood and he picks it and up. And he holds it up. <laughs> and and Mrs. Park's horrified face and it, that was pure comedy. That was gold. Mm-hmm. It was so, and that entire scene, I think it's, I watched a YouTube video about it. It's like five minutes um, as they execute that plan. And just like the sound is brilliant, the cuts, each cut is like three seconds or something. And there's all these parallels. I encourage you all to look it up. Um, Maybe we'll put the link to that video in the show notes, but it's so interesting. You just see the brilliance of the editing and the directing in that scene because they have all these parallel shots. But that entire plan, which is super complex to get rid of Moon Guang, it happens in the course of five minutes using like 60 different shots. And it's just, oh, it's so well done. And you're just scooting closer and closer to the edge of your seat the whole last time. And then the final reveal of Mr. Kim's face holding up that tissue looking so scandalized. Oh, it's amazing. Genius. And then how they decided they knew, okay, this could seem a little suspicious if we continue to know people in the industry because that's mm-hmm. how, you know, Kiwu referred, oh, I know this art teacher. And then Jessica said, well, yeah. I knew someone who was a driver, they they maybe could catch on to that. So mm-hmm. instead of going that route, they decide to invent that top tier service company uh-huh. and have uh, Mr. Kim give Mr. Park the card for that. Mm-hmm. And that was all just so geniusly executed and really showed 
a level of perception and insight on the part of the Kims mm-hmm. to know – it's clear they know how wealthy people work. Exactly. They and understand you see that. How, they, how they like to be treated, how they like mm-hmm. to be deferred to, that they like to feel as though they're hiring people they trust but also that it was on their own terms. Mm-hmm. And they give they – they spoon feed them everything they need. Mm-hmm. And you, you see that as well. Like they, so, uh, uh, Jong asks when she's pretending to be a person like a receptionist or assistant at this company pretends to, or ask them for proof of their income, right. which I think is so brilliant because she, she knows that wealthy people want to have to acknowledge their wealth. Like it's not the the validity of this company or like the quality of the people that they provide that the wealthy people are interested in. It's the prestige of it. It's like the brand name, the title, the exclusivity of knowing that they can only get in if they provide this proof of extreme wealth. That's right. And then the satisfaction they get from then being approved. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all they need. That's a great Mm -hmm. point. Oh, it's so good. Along with that, I think like when talking about um, like the wealth and status symbols in this movie, I think there's a lot of really interesting references to like American culture mm. or to more, I guess, to use an outdated term that doesn't actually really mean anything but Western culture. Um, you see it with like the fact that Dasarn, the sun, the park sun is in the Boy Scouts and the dad, the park father wants um, the driver to be driving a nice Mercedes car and the fact that uh, the son and daughter of the Kim family when they're Kiwoo and Kijong when they're working in the park home they have American names right. um, and they're the ones interestingly that are connected they're not doing um, like service jobs like the mom and dad still are Mr. Kim and Mrs. Kim are still working in service to this family but they're on a lower level, whereas Chiu uh, and Chijong, who are called Kevin and Jessica, are sort of on the same level as the Park family. They're seen as equals who have something to offer. They have and education from the United exactly. States. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. From the United States, and then therefore they're called by American names, which I think it's interesting. Um, we're absolutely not experts on Korean culture. <laughs> not even Nor close. Nor are we Korean, so... I'm sure we're we're not picking up on the subtleties of this, or I don't know how founded in reality this is, but it seems like they, Bong Juno was sort of referencing a fetishization of American extravagance, or just the idea of like United States capitalism to to show wealth. And Absolutely, power. you even see it with tiny mentions when Mrs. Park when they're camping later or the son is camping in the backyard in the tent, Mrs. Park says mm-hmm. the Mr. Park questions whether or not the tent can withstand the rain. And Mrs. Park says, I got it from the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Implying that therefore this tent is somehow of sound mm-hmm. quality and it will be fine. And she yeah. does that with other things too, that she's bought for her son from the States. And mm-hmm. it is interesting how there's that, level of of superiority associated with 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 mm-hmm. qualities or products from the states yeah no 100 um 
and I, along with that, like the the Tim family, at least in my perception of it, seemed to be presented as much more Korean. Right. You know, like they or we see them in more traditionally Korean spaces where the Park family is, yeah, just consistently related to this sort of like Americana Western aesthetic, which is, yeah, definitely super interesting. Or not to say that there's not that there can't be that level of wealth or association of wealth in Korea, but just mm-hmm. that it's a smaller percentage of people as it is in every country across the globe. The 1% Except is the 1% for, percent yeah. for a reason. So we're shown the Kim family who is probably a more accurate representation of what the majority yeah. of the population looks like. Definitely. Yeah. So let's move into the moment when you knew, well, it sounds like you had an anticipation of something that something was up yes. the entire time. The, there's always a a ball that drops in a Bong Juno movie. Like you just have to know going into it that what you thought the movie was about is going to take a whole last turn. So for me, that moment was when the Park family goes on a camping trip and the Kim family mm-hmm. gets to enjoy their home while they're away. And they're all mm. again, this part was still funny to me. There was so funny. There's an amazing scene of Kiwu laying on the grass in the backyard reading <laughs> and just looking so at peace and Kijung in the bathtub and her brother mm-hmm. brings her a bottle of water and rolls it across the floor and they are getting comfortable in this home mm-hmm. and but the moment when I started to feel things shift was when they're sitting around the living room with all of their snacks and all of their alcohol mm-hmm. they've, they've clearly had a few drinks and they're they're starting to talk and you're you just have this little sense of unease as you're watching like they're getting too comfortable they shouldn't be this at home in this house because their employers could come back any moment but you get lost in their conversation and i this is something i thought was such an interesting point and really aligns with what you said earlier in our conversation but mrs kim says They talk about how they think Mrs. Park is nice. And Mr. Mm -hmm. Kim says something to the effect of, she's nice, even though she's rich. And and Mrs. Kim says, is she nice even though she's rich? Or is she nice because she's rich? Yeah. And she proceeds to talk about, um, she uses the analogy of, of like laundry or something, saying that wealthy people have all the wrinkles just smoothed out for them. Mm. And therefore, they they have the luxury of being nice, and that was yes. That was a really interesting. That made me pause even as I was watching and just really think about, you know, is niceness a luxury, and is that some is that a commodity that's anyone can obviously be kind, but is that something is kindness a lot more easily cultivated when you have all of these resources in your life? One hundred percent, I think. I mean. You just see it with like the the simple aspect of you're you're not pitted against other people as much. Like you don't you don't have as many opportunities to be, or you're not forced into as many opportunities to be cutthroat or to have to do these things that the Kim family is doing to get their livelihood. Like the Park family just doesn't have to do that. But then right. at the same time rich people often have to fuck over so many people to get their money and have to throw away their morals to get their money. So I think maybe 
the mom is referencing a more performative niceness like the in that the park mom gets to perform these kind gestures and maybe she is truly nice at her core but in reality like you see it with with the park father who is very rude to mr kim in these subtle ways or looks down upon him but in all other ways it's yeah yeah, very condescending but in all other ways is like very performatively kind to him because he's paying him and he (laughs) he gets to feel like he's providing him his livelihood right it's the same thing of like a billionaire donates the smallest fraction of their wealth ever to a charity and everyone's like oh what a saint they give a hundred thousand dollars and and people go nuts which a hundred thousand dollars compared to a billion it's a drop in the ocean it's like it's like a third of it's like the average american giving a third of a penny to a charity and us being like holy shit you saint so it's (laughs) like wow yeah honestly i think it might even be more extreme than that but one hundred thousand divided by a billion is like that's like a millionth of their salary wow Right. So it is it is just a really interesting commentary because I think what I love so much about this film is how Bong Juno doesn't really or this is my opinion anyway, he doesn't really give us a clear sense of who to feel sorry for and who to root for as the movie progresses. There's not this there's not this message I found anyway in the end that says Wealthy people are inherently bad, or Mm-mm. or people who are economically disadvantaged are inherently aggressive and greedy and cutthroat. That's that's not true, and so we see all these different ways where all of the characters are really nuanced. Like I think mm. the scene of the parents choosing to spend the night downstairs in the living room so they could watch their son asleep in the backyard in the tent. Mm-hmm. was a perfect perfect representation that that scene was so masterful just to show to kind of humanize these parents and show mm-hmm. wow they're sweet people they're going to they have a beautiful comfy bed upstairs but they're not going to force their son to come inside if he's enjoying himself and they're going to instead try to help him out and accommodate that and make themselves Slightly yeah, no, less they're, comfortable they're in the process. As well. Yeah, they're human. And so there's all these moments where we show, where we're shown that these characters are both kind and then not. And same with the Kim family. I think that's sort of the power of the movie, or maybe it's the power of the subject matter of the movie, is that you're given this unbiased look at, at the reality of class difference and of like class ascension and class mobility in a capitalist country um all the characters are extremely human there's no like there's no villain in the movie but you still come out of it with this deep overwhelming sense of dread about the reality that's presented and so i think it's it's smart like he removes the yeah the villainous nature he removes it away from the rich people and the poor people alike and you just see that sort of the system or the yeah the the conditions facing everybody in this system are the real villain are the actual parasite right that's what you're horrified by at the end right but yeah no it's good that he doesn't it's not like a fuck the rich type movie but it is saying fuck the fact that people can be this rich fuck the systems that Mm -hmm. pit people against each other in this way Mm -hmm. and leave very little gray area Exactly. Right? And so 
I, I just thought it was such an interesting thing how they went from talking on the couch about, wow, you like the, what's the daughter's name? Daye? Daye? Daya? Daya, yeah. That Kuu likes her and he wants to marry her. And so this family is mm-hmm. going from thinking, wow, we could be their in-laws to all of a sudden scurrying out of the house like cockroaches just as the mother had mm-hmm. said would happen. So let's talk about the, the, the what happens in that entire night because I've never seen anything like it. Okay, fun tidbit from... Um, my boyfriend who was telling me about this, which I didn't catch because we have no idea about Korean culture again. But so the, they're on this camping trip, right? And then the mom calls and asks uh, Mrs. Kim to make them a dish for when they get back. And what he told me was that th- that dish is seen as like a very... It's a very, like, um, average dish. It's something, it, it would be akin to a wealthy family calling up their housekeeper in the United States and being like, can you put on some hot dogs for us when we come back? Mm. And so it's it's sort of funny that their undoing was this dish that isn't seen as, like, uppity or wealthy. That's a very common thing. And but then yet, that... they add sirloin steaks yes. to yeah, the yeah, dish. Yeah. So I think that exactly. is really representative of how you know you can have this average thing and then add this thing on top of it that all of a sudden mm-hmm. really does show their wealth exactly yeah same thing of them being human but then also the conditions are just different absolutely so but, oh, yeah the the horror you get I, I think that horror that happens when the mom calls them up and they start rushing and scurrying around. But before is... that, before no, no, that, that's, when the that's housekeeper. Was... Oh, yes, 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 yes. Sorry. But I, I did want to say that even prior to the housekeeper, I felt this horror because you're watching these people who you've only seen in these like destitute situations, who you've seen living underground, whose home gets flooded, you know, who, who are eating like bad food. And now you're seeing them in these really hyper wealthy spaces and you're just uncomfortable because of it. Mm. Like watching, watching Ki Jong like take the bath and watching them all sit around and like drink this alcohol around the table. You just know something's wrong because they're out of place or that's right. what you're made to feel like. And then that horror culminates when you, the housekeeper calls, which, Oh my God. Bone that chilling. was, that was absolutely chilling. I, and, 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 you don't know why. I mean, you just see her face Mm-mm. and she looks innocent. She lo- she's got some mm-hmm. cuts on her face, but otherwise you feel a lot of sympathy for her. And when she says, I left something down there, they pushed me out so quick. I didn't have the time. I thought my heart just melted. And I thought, yeah, you have to let her in. But mm-hmm. as soon as the housekeeper turns and Mrs. Kim says, well, what, what did you leave down there by the way? And she says, you want to come see? <gasps> oh, I, I will give myself goosebumps right now remembering that. No, that was – and the, the color shift, right? Like you – the entire movie is these warm reds. Oranges. And oranges. And then she opens up this hidden staircase and it's just green. <sighs> and oh my god. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Terrifying, terrifying. Terrifying, so terrifying. did you expect that when I thought what was no, going to happen – who fucking could have? Okay, who could have? But – so my initial thought was as she's running down the stairs, she calls 
the English uh, translation of honey, honey. And she's like, mm-hmm. honey, honey. And I thought it was a child. I thought she was going to have a child of hers down there mm. who had starved or something. I didn't think it was going to be a full-grown man who she was feeding mm-hmm. a bottle to. Mm-hmm. That was wild. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I'm sure there's something to be said. I don't know exactly what the symbolism of that is, but, like, the fact that this man was reduced to in, to these conditions, right? Like, he's living... He's forced to live like a parasite down there. He's forced to be where he's, infantilized. Where he relies on people. Yeah, is infantilized. I, I mean, yeah, well, that, I mean, there it is. Like, infants are effectively parasites until they're able to take care of themselves, right? Like, they require somebody else for all of their sustenance, for all their care, for their livelihood. And right. that's what's become of him because he's on the run from the law and doesn't have money. It was so chilling. And then I started to think of all of these things, like when Mr. Park had said that the only only fault he could see in his previous housekeeper was that she always ate enough for two. (gasps) Which you just take as like, oh, because she's slightly overweight or is he mocking her weight or yeah. And then you think- Oh my God, it's so brilliantly set up. Oh my God, could that be? Yeah, because of her husband- Mm-hmm. And the escalation between this crazy thing and then all of a sudden the point where they are taking the Kims hostage in the living room and mm-hmm. it gets so violent so quickly, it was just horrifying to watch. But he but mm-hmm. Bung Jano just still Bong Juno, excuse me, still there does that <laughs> <laughs> still does that great thing of teetering between comedy and horror. Because even mm-hmm. in that sequence of events, we're taken from a place of horror when she's running down the stairs, then to immediate relief when we see it's a husband and not like a starving mm-hmm. child dying. And we're like, okay, this is weird, but this can be resolved. Then horror again when she th- when the original housekeeper threatens to send the picture to the ki- mm-hmm. to the parks. I loved the transformation of a cell phone into like a, a bomb detonator. Yes, yes. Especially the movie started with them searching for Wi-Fi. You know what I mean? Like, that's the opening scene is two looking for Wi-Fi in their home and, like, unable to get any connection. And now their phone, just by the location difference, the fact that they're not in this basement anymore, the same phone has the power to end someone's life. Wow. Yeah, that's a great, great correlation. That's so true. I also, in in terms of what you're saying about the comedy thing, I was dying because when they're underground and um, Mrs. Kim is like looking down on her and she's disgusted and she's threatening to hurt her or whatever. And the uh, previous housekeeper, Moon Guang, keeps calling her sis and is like trying to be like, girl, we're one and the same. And she refuses to believe it. She's accurately pointing out. Yeah, she's accurately pointing out that they are of the same class and they aren't the enemies in this. But we've seen that, I mean, this this storyline happens all the time, right? Where somebody who was beaten down by a system gets a taste of that system's power and then immediately turns and starts doing it to somebody else. Wow. And she, yeah. she does the same thing. And then later when the roles are swapped and um, Moon Guang is threatening to send the photo, right? Or threatening to reveal to the family that they're all related. She, uh, Mrs. Kim tries to call her sis. And then Moon Guang goes, don't fucking call me sis, you filthy bitch. (laughs) (laughs) 
exactly. It was so gold. And so they're sitting good. on the couch and she is – Moon Gwang is um, doing imitations of Korean news anchors, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm sure that's even funnier if you know about – Korean, Korean news, news. <laughs> which uh, or Korean, right? Yeah. I definitely don't, but that was a really funny scene to me, and really smartly done. And you get even right then we they do one of those kind of fantasy flash forward things where they show mm. uh, Moon Gwang and her husband sitting peacefully, dancing in the living room in the sunshine, drinking tea. Mm. And you think for a moment that time has fast forwarded and they've gotten themselves there mm-hmm. only to be brought back to the reality of the situation. Yeah. Which he will, Bong Juno will do later again at the ending of the movie, which is fucking soul crushing. <laughs> soul crushing. So good. So what did you think of the scene when the, when the, the family comes back? And they are so mm-hmm. casual about coming home. It's their home. They've had a long day. They just want to get mm-hmm. to it. And meanwhile, there's this tension and this absolute horror of oh. the fact that these people are downstairs that they've hurt. And mm-hmm. the intensity with which Chung Suk, Mrs. Mrs. Kim, is able to push Moon Gwang <sighs> down or mm-hmm. kick her down the stairs, right? With a, the mm-hmm. simplest shove. That was horrifying i mean i i sort i saw it too as like uh moon Gwang is protecting her child who is her husband effectively right and you you see like a mother's willing to do anything to protect her children and then that same thing happens with mrs kim where she's like my family's on the line so bye sis and just kicks her down the stairs completely completely cold blooded blooded but like she has to at the same time like the but she doesn't. But like she said, the kindness is is afforded to the rich, and she it's doesn't a luxury feel that she, she doesn't has. have in that moment. Exactly. But it is interesting, just to kind of really hammer in that point of two people often in the same conditions, the same class, being pitted against one another. Because it's very interesting to me that both of their both families' inclinations were to figure out how to best the other family and mm-hmm. not how can we work together, work together yeah. and benefit each other to go against the parks and not because necessarily that doesn't feel like an option to them right i guess yeah i guess it doesn't oh. and that's just made abundantly clear when she shoves her down the stairs and that is totally chilling because that's the moment it really gets taken to this different level of violence because it's very clear mm. that that she is close to death at that moment Yes. When she gets kicked down the stairs. Oh, God. And then the family comes back, and Mrs. Tim is making the food. Meanwhile, the rest of the family is under the fucking table. First of all, I want to know what you thought of the scene when the parents come down, and they start getting frisky, and they're under the table watching. I have i don't know if I've ever been more horrified in my life, honestly. Um, God, you're just... It's the most nerve-wracking thing in the entire world. But then also you, the parks are being sort of humanized by what they're doing. Like you said before, like they're doing the sweet thing for their son. And they're just trying to do the very human thing of having sex lovingly. But an entire family's life is on the line. I don't... It, it was just a lot of intense emotions. 
What what I thought I agree and what I thought was interesting was how how so okay, this was a I thought an interesting commentary just on I don't know what it fully says, but the Mr. Park calls her calls says to his wife something to the effect they're dirty talking and he says something to the effect of did you forget your panties? Referencing mm. the panties that the oh. driver left left in in quotes in the limo. Mm-hmm. And then we see the we see Mrs. Park say, "Feed me drugs, feed me drugs." Mm. Because they had presumed that their driver had potentially given a sex worker drugs or or that or that they had enjoyed drugs together and then had sex. So, effectively, they are they're role playing in that situation people they perceive to be from a lower class the driver to get off right to get off the driver and the sex worker mm-hmm. which so i th- mean you you see constantly like there's this fetishization of the lower class white people do it all the time in the united states um to probably i mean the united states most oppressed group which is black people and specifically like queer black women i mean all of our modern language like all the new in slang all the dance moves jazz rock hip-hop all like modern pop music all comes from oppressed people that's i heard it referenced as trickle up um slang or trickle up culture where there's this fetishization of the lower class and the lifestyle of the lower class or the oppressed peoples and that becomes something that wealthier people like to dabble in when convenient for enjoyment Right, when they can slip into it for a few minutes easily and uh-huh. use it for their purposes. So I just thought that was an interesting little addition because it was something earlier in the movie they were so scandalized by. And mm-hmm. it was reason enough for them to terminate this person's working contract and get hire a new driver. And then later it's shown as something that's sexy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was it's just... sexy because it's fake, because they're role-playing it. Right. Because that's not their actual reality. It becomes hot. Right. And that was, yeah. yeah, that was just an interesting, very uncomfortable scene. And especially when that's the scene when we really see Mr. Park expand on Mrs. Mr. Kim's smell, right? Mm-hmm. And there's that whole discussion that happens between them, which... Here's the thing. You can imagine yourself having had a similar conversation about someone behind their back with your significant other in a really mm-hmm. in a really similar way. It wasn't like it was this scathing, uh, you know, horrifying mm-hmm. conversation. It was a really mild, normal thing. And yet, because we know Mr. Kim is there listening, mm-hmm. it is bone chilling and really crushing and we see the close-up on his and hurtful we see the close-up on his face as he feels absolute shame in front of his children Mm -hmm. being humiliated right next to them and being looked down on by someone who employs him and that's just a really sad moment that i think sets up his character to later have the rage that he that he ends up having yeah, no, I think that's a perfect moment to transition to sort of end our conversation into talking about the ending of the movie, which is the wildest ride I've ever been on, potentially. Absolutely. Oh, my God. So, uh, okay, so when they leave, I thought this was just another really brilliant way of distinguishing the two classes, but when 
They literally scurry out of the house like mm. cockro- cockroaches. And then there's this really, really sad, intense scene where they go home and it's pouring rain mm. and they are literally descending down. They mm-hmm. go down and down these different staircases and the further down they get, the more impoverished the city starts to look, mm-hmm. the grayer the it starts flooded. to look. The more flooded it is. Like more, lack of air, yeah. The more desolate it becomes. And then they get to their house that's totally flooded. And this was one of my favorite scenes of the entire film. But Kijang sitting on the toilet that's exploding mm-hmm. shit and reaching for a pack of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Iconic. Because that's her life. In that moment, she is completely resigned. Mm-hmm. Like, what it, can she do? It's almost as if she expected it. Or if this is this isn't business, or this is business as usual for her. It's something that, despite the craziness of that event, that would throw off. If that happened to the Park family, they would be in the most like wild stupor, be so scared. But then she's yeah, just sitting there smoking a pack of cigarettes, being like, "This is my fucking life right now. This is what I have to deal with." And mm-hmm. wow, just that scene. I loved it. I I loved it, and it was also the saddest thing I've ever seen. But no, yeah, I think it also just shows the the problems of, of like the contrast of that with um the fact that the family's like, mm, no, we don't actually want to go camping. We're gonna come back, and Dasarn has to sleep outside. But like, we'll sacrifice and we'll sit on the couch. And you're like, oh, they are good people. And then <laughs> you realize it time and time again that like that kindness and that like that semi nice thing that they did for Dasong is just so completely easy minuscule and easy compared to the fact that their the Tim's family their Tim's home is just flooded and they have literally no place to live they're going while while the park parents are sleeping on the couch they're going to be sleeping in this massive gymnasium it looks like with a bunch of other people who don't have homes I thought that was brilliant on Bong Juno's part to really to use something as simple as weather to demonstrate mm. how people are on opposite ends of the economic spectrum are so affected by something as simple. Exactly. I mean, it's not like it was simple. It was a shit ton of rain, but weather, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so we see Mrs. Park the next day on a phone call to her friend saying, it's a gorgeous day. The rain, <sighs> the rain mm-hmm. cleared out all the smog. And for her- oh. For her, that's what that was. She has no sense of how that could be devastating to people in a different life situation. And then we have Mr. Kim driving her, sitting up front, and seeing the horror on his face, just knowing that his family's life was changed forever last night Mm -hmm. because of that flood. And she just thinks he was drowning. And they lost their possessions and... Potentially, even they lost the money they had earned up until that point. I was thinking mm-hmm. about that. All they had was that rock. Right. I don't know. You know, if they had just cold, hard cash in their place, then that was gone in the flood. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was such a, a brilliant little interpretation and kind of piggybacking off of that in because it's in that very same scene. Mrs. Park has her f- bare feet up on the seat in mm. front of her. Which is, you know, someone taking their shoes off and having their bare feet out is generally, in certain situations, it's in many situations, it's considered 
inappropriate, but she mm-hmm. has her feet up close toward her driver's face, close to Mr. Kim's face, mm-hmm. and yet she rolls down the window because of his smell. Smell. Oh, insane. How good was it's that? It's so brilliant. It's so brilliant. Like you have your bare feet up in someone's face, and yet you are covering your nose and rolling down the window. Their smell. Ooh, the smell thing is was that was a really. What do you think about how that was used throughout the film to demonstrate their their class differences? I think it it was it's really brilliant in that it is something. It's something innate to these people. Like it's not. It's not their clothes. It's not. It's not their hairstyle. It is the smell coming off of them, like their pheromones. But it also is representative of their diet and where they live. Right. Like the smell sort of captures. Right. In a weird way, everything about their life. Um, and therefore, is the perfect thing for the rich people to turn their nose up at. Literally. I, literally. <laughs> Literally. (laughs) That's so true. I never thought of that. Smell, you can wear different clothes. Smell is one of the few things that you you can tell a lot without looking. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You can change your haircut. You can, you know, change your clothes. You can speak in a different way even. But a smell Mm -hmm. can really indicate a lot. It quite literally, I mean, like the smell that people give off, which is so racialized in the United States, right? Like, they, there's so many jokes made when you're younger, and I mean, obviously about when you're you older eat too, about about food you eat, the way that like certain people smell, and almost all of that is related to yeah, the, the food that they consume, or just the different spices that their culture <laughs> uses, and that becomes something of disgust. But it's literally just lack of familiarity with it. Completely. And, yeah. Final point, too, about that flood scene. I just thought it was interesting looking at it. I mean, it's kind of... Any sort of flood feels like it's referencing the biblical flood, right? Which is the wiping away of sin on the planet or just like a fresh slate, you know, so that humanity can rebuild. And I think it's interesting that they sort of had this cosmic luck that brought them into this new position of power that was so outside of where they were destined to be as people of their class. And then there's this flood that's wipes it all clean and says, no, 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 no. Like back to business Brings as usual. Brings them back to zero, back to square one. Exactly. Back to, to where they belong. Or that's what the director seems to be saying, right? Like the, this upward class mobility that's, ooh, interestingly, I think it's, it's probably deeply related to the obsession with American culture in the thing. I mean, what's what's like the main tenant of the United States as a whole, as like a this colonialist you can, you can nation the is the dream. American dream. Yeah, is is upward mobility, is class ascension. But the reality is that that doesn't exist in the United States. Like to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and become wealthy happens to percent of the of the population, and those people are already privileged to have that opportunity. And so same thing here, right? Like this upward mobility, which is later represented at the end when Chiwu is dreaming of buying this house. And you think maybe he did do it because you see this flash forward in this dreamlike state where he's purchasing the house to save his father. But then you realize, um, no, that's impossible. And Bong Joon-ho said in an interview, he was talking about that final scene. And he said he had thought about not including... um, so after after that dreamlike scene where he was buying the house, he includes the scene where you see him writing this letter still in the basement. 
and he had considered not including the basement scene, but he wanted to because he said he needed to show how harsh the reality was, that he needed people to understand that Kiwa was never going to buy that house. Right. And that that sort of same thing is represented by the flood. It's like, this was all fantasy for you guys. This was a stroke of luck, but you were like, never meant to ha- to really have it. Exactly. Like the dad warns about with the rock in the beginning, or I think it's the dad. He's like, that prosperity, like that's, it's not possible. And especially, and I think, I love that, that flood analogy you made and the wiping clean of it. I think that's so true. And it really, it really is a perfect precursor to the events of the final day because mm. potentially after that terrifying situation where they hurt these two people, shoved them down in the basement, and they don't know what's going on there. If the flood had never happened and they had at this point saved up a decent amount of money, they could have had the opportunity to all quit soon mm-hmm. thereafter and try and resolve to find a new situation because mm-hmm. at that point they know that it's a little bit more possible. They maybe have yeah. some funds, not a lot, but maybe enough to feel confident to leave and get out of that mess. But with the flood, that really cements in, no, that's that's that was never an option and no, it's yeah. never going to be an option because now you're stuck in this mess and you have to work that much harder to smooth things over. Because they still exist in the world where weather is the defining factor on their livelihood. Yes. Yeah. No, it's wild. And it's interesting how the, the window being open mm-hmm. determined everything mm-hmm. in their home and earlier to kind of circle back to the beginning when he says leave the window open that window is really a conduit for good and bad things to happen yeah <laughs> you know it can let it can let all of those fumes in and give them a free extermination opportunity or it can but also fill their lungs water. with fumes right right yeah oh really oh, so good. really chilling but so what did what did you make of the entire party scene starting with with Kiwu talking to Daye upstairs and how he says, do I belong here? All of it. What did you think? I thought it was really just like the final driving home of the extravagance of wealth, right? Like you see them setting up all these tables and I think it's it's Mrs. Tim who has to set up the tables or maybe it's Mr. Tim and they're just like, fuck, like how many tables and they have to be arranged in this half moon and with this like uh, Native American teepee in the center, all for Dasong, who's like a young ass kid who clearly has demonstrated throughout the movie that he doesn't give a shit and probably isn't one for theatrics, but like all of this party nonsense is just extravagance and it's so ridiculous. And that's what makes Kiwu confront the reality that he doesn't belong here because he, ca- he can't understand something like this. And then that sort of tension between. The position of Chiwu and Chijong with the reality that they're in or this this upward mobility that they've achieved, they don't belong in that place. And that just becomes increasingly, increasingly clear until the climax of um, Mungwang's husband breaking out of the basement. Right. Uh, and I, I thought it was interesting how Chijong... Uh, Jessica is supposed to go down into the basement to give them food. So at this point, mm. the family has the Kim family has come to their senses. I think the mom even says something to the effect of, we were all too far gone last night. It got out of hand. Bring mm-hmm. this food down to them. I'm sure they're starving. And she's on her way to bring them this food. 
and then gets stopped by uh, Mrs. Park. And I thought mm. it was just interesting that the, she was supposed to feed them and mm-hmm. she ends up dying. And then mm-hmm. Kiwu, who was, went down into the basement to finish the job of killing them with the rock, mm-hmm. ends up living. I don't know what that interesting. means. I don't I know just, what it means, but it means something, y'all. It, I just thought it was interesting, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so, yeah, as, oh, when Kiwu goes down there with the rock, <gasps> I was, I was absolute i was terrified i was so scared and Mm -hmm. we see the rope like come around his neck from behind oh my gosh it was chilling and we see that moon guang is definitely dead at that point yes and the escalation of the situation what 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 were your thoughts on moon guang's husband downstairs i have a few things to say about him and and the state that he was living in and and everything and the point that he was driven to, to to become that mad and enraged. I mean, I, I think there, there's so much probably to be said about it. I feel like we could do a, another hour-long episode about the state that he was in under there. But I think like one of the main points that they were driving home was the Stockholm Syndrome um, that he had, where he was so deeply obsessed with Mr. Park because he had given him this livelihood and this weird roundabout backwards way he was the one that was providing for him and i think that sort of seemed to be commentary on this like exaltation that the rich receive even though they're the ones that are like handing out the crumbs to the majority of the people within a capitalist society you're made to love them and appreciate them and revere their power um and fight for them quite literally kill for them i mean that that's what it seemed like to me right with like the native american war symbolism and stuff at the end mr park has this man who is his parasite who he's feeding scraps who's like a child has him do his bidding and kill for him at the end right which is just so accurate to what actually happens in the real world where these men with extreme power use the people under them in order to do their bidding and to kill and murder so that they can gain more power. I mean, we see that we of, see that with war all the time, right? The people yeah. who have who are farthest away from the ramifications of that type of violence are the people mm-hmm. who are instigating it and and exactly. asking others to do this on their behalf. And these are the people who often have no choice in the decision making that prompts mm-hmm. that, but they're expected to do all the work. I thought that's a, that. that's a really interesting um, interpretation. And I I just thought I noticed this thing that I think it was clear toward the end or I, when Mr. Kim goes down there and he says, what are you doing? And we see Moon Guang's husband tapping his forehead, banging his forehead against oh. the lights. Mm-hmm. And I think this is earlier in the night, but he calls out, he says, I love you, Mr. Park. Welcome home, Mr. Park. Mm-hmm. And we see him literally lighting the stairwell lights as Mr. Mm-hmm. Park walks up the home. And I walks thought that up too. Right. And I thought that was Ascends. a beautiful, beautiful indication of how oftentimes for people with certain levels of privilege or wealth, that the path is literally paved or lit up for them by someone they don't they would never even recognize. Mm-hmm. The path it, upwards. The path upwards. Yeah, it's just opened up for them, and 
If you notice in the rest of the movie, when anyone else walks upstairs, the lights are not lit. Yeah. It's only no, it's, for... No, it's for Mr. Park. It's only for Mr. Park. And the light thing was uh, was just so cool so and so chilling. Something I read online that I I feel like it's worth mentioning, but I, I really can't speak to a lot of the validity of it, but is this idea that in in the the bunker where he was there were apparently some shots zoomed in on like police and law textbooks mm. indicating perhaps that he had studied to become a police officer which from what wow. i've read in korea is a really popular route that a lot of people from lower social classes take it's one of mm. the jobs but it's really really tough and you have to study a lot of hours and work really hard to pass this test and invest a lot of money and resources to do it. And oftentimes people can go broke if they spend all their time studying for this test. They don't pass it and then they've spent years potentially mm. without other career opportunities that could have gotten them ahead. Wow. So that was just interesting to me. And I think it really shows they tried to show in such a in you know a five second way kind of the trajectory that this man's life had yeah. taken and why he had ended up down there in the first place just more brilliant storytelling right and the cake baking i mean or the bakeries that i think that was a trend when when you know cupcakes and bakeries were becoming really trendy mm. and popularized that apparently there were a lot of bakeries opened up in korea that ended up shutting down wow. a few years later and we see that with wasn't that mr kim's thing too he had his bakery yes, had so yeah so we see these two men who so are parallels good, of each like, other you know yeah. and it's like it, it, and it, and then they they literally trade places like it oh, like mr kim ends brilliant. up becoming him yeah wow wow good job Juno. Uh, you know <laughs> you really okay, it. final final thing i feel like to wrap up my convoluted thoughts about the american symbolism in this is i think we have to talk about the fact that mr park is killed by mr kim who is wearing a native americans chieftain hat there's so much on this yeah you go there's ahead. so much but my initial interpretation of that is that i feel like with this idea of american capitalism and with sort of the obsession with that that the movie has demonstrated up to this point i don't think there's I mean, well, actually, there, there's there's infinitely many examples of this, but one of the original examples of this, of American greed uh, turning to oppression, is the Native Americans, right? Where these people quite literally helped the first white American settlers and then were delivered smallpox and murder in exchange for their gifts and for their service and then genocided. In this country and so i think it it represents or it's sort of like a, a, a sad cosmic retelling of that narrative in that um mr kim works for mr park and reveres him or he is receiving his livelihood from him but then finally revolts against the sort of oppression kills him and then is still forced into a terrible state and forced to live underground and away from the world that he lived in prior does that does yeah. that make any sense yes yeah. it does absolutely i think just like native americans experience when they revolted against 
the white settlers who had been so terrible to them and then still just ended up so extremely fucked over and forgotten too specifically like they are not talked about the genocide isn't mentioned i don't even think it's actually recognized as a genocide um and they're just a forgotten part of our culture that or forgotten to the majority of people in the united states just like mr kim is wow that's i love that i didn't think all of that through when i first watched it and that's i think that's really important to call out and just more brilliance Mm. on Bong Juno's part. Oh, and truly. I want to talk about the lead up to the killing because I think that's a moment where I'm not sure what the majority of people who saw this film think, but I think that's a moment where you could you could really side with the parks if you don't look mm. too closely. You could you could think, how could he just turn on a dime like that and murder this man when they were trying to mm-hmm. keep their employment and move up the ranks, what have you. But when you look, there's so many little things that mm-hmm. are that really fuel Mr. Kim's rage in that moment. And so it starts when he's asked to put on that Native American outfit to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and he just feels a little embarrassed that he has to it's not in his job description. <laughs> right. Not in his job description to be playing this role and but he agrees to, you know, shove down his pride and do it. But then a few things happen in the span of like 10 seconds. And one is that after the the husband comes up from the basement and stabs stabs Kijang in the chest and mm-hmm. she's bleeding out on the ground. And what does Mr. Park do? He says, give me the car keys, give me the car keys because Dasong has fainted. And he says, <sighs> come on, come on. And so he is completely neglecting Jessica, his other employer, mm-hmm who is his son has fainted and that is serious and Dying. he shouldn't he shouldn't have to you know feel bad about rehaving the reaction he did for that but so Jessica is dying on the ground and he's only he's asking Mr. Kim effectively to leave he doesn't know that Jessica's his daughter but he's asking him to leave his daughter on the ground mm-hmm. bleeding while he goes and drives this family or at least hunts for the keys for them so that's Ugh. the first thing he just can't believe that. And then the second thing is that as he goes to get the keys from under the, the, the husband from the basement, I don't know his name, he, he moves aside his body and he goes to plug his nose because of the smell. Ugh. And so we see that smell thing again and that's it for, for Mr. Kim. And that just triggers this feeling of, I think a loss of dignity is a really, mm-hmm. is often, a precursor to to violence and we see that with Mr. Kim where he's just been consistently dehumanized, undignified mm-hmm. and he can't take it anymore and he snaps in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I just I don't know. I love I oh. I didn't love it. I didn't love that so many people died in one scene, but I just loved It was brilliant. The brilliance of that, right, of that lead up and how it, it was so subtly done that I think you could miss you could miss how much of like an uncaring yeah. asshole Mr. Park was being if you didn't look closely. And then immediately after he sticks up, Mr. Kim sticks up for this man who's dead, who lived a terrible life and whose smell revolted Mr. Park, he becomes him. Exactly. Like he, he fights for this person and now he... 
is that person. That was brilliant that he went back to the basement. Mm -hmm. And I love how they did that reveal for us with Kiwu going and sitting atop the mountain and seeing the lights and having the recognition all of a sudden, holy shit, my father's down there. That's where he is. The Morse code. That was cool. So good. And it really just drives home the impossibility of change. Like, you're quite literally, like I said before, all of Bong Juno's movies do this, where the end is the same as the beginning. There's this family who, with Chiwu again, who is, like, striving to get out of the position that his family's in. He's conniving, he's setting up this plan to get rich and to get his family out of this position. And somebody is trapped underneath this wealthy family. And the world keeps on turning, and the wealthy people are still wealthy. They move out, and new wealthy people move in. And I loved that when he nothing's different. Nothing's different. When I loved when Mr. Kim is narrating the letter to his son, and he says something to, to the effect of, "You know, I really struggled when the house was empty, when it was when different mm. buyers were looking at it, and that really ties into the parasite thing of that a parasite can't live in an empty host." You know, mm-hmm. and yes. that you would you would you would think in that specific situation that having the house empty would free you up in a way and make you mm-hmm. less fearful and give you a lot more liberty and maybe more more mental clarity to make a better plan. But it does the opposite for him, where he barely survives. He barely hangs on during that period when a, f- a family isn't living there. I mean, because the the world that's been set up by these hyper rich people is one wherein. The rest of the people can't exist without him. The hyper-rich people can't exist without the lower class, and the lower class can't exist without the wealthy people. It's such a sad, impossible catch-22 situation. and It really is, and that's the genius of that title is so apparent it's something i didn't think about as i was watching the film i didn't it didn't occur to me until afterward how apt Mm. that title is and how a parasite literally goes on to feed off its host and then kill its host until and in that same way that the rich are parasitic towards the lower class as well i mean obviously like capitalism is the parasite too in this movie but they they both need each other it's not it's not a one-way parasitic relationship they or both... in many aspects it is but at, at the core of it, it those people to be in power and to be rich they need to be compared to the lower class right it's yeah it's such a spooky kind of surreal dynamic mm-hmm. and deeply real as well like <laughs> This movie is, on one hand, it's like so artistic and beautiful and it's a crazy, cool, funny, horrifying story, but then also it's fucking reality too, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure Bong Juno wants people to acknowledge like this is, he's making a movie about class disparity at this time in the world because it's a huge issue and this is a dramatization of what actually goes on. Absolutely. I wanted to touch on one last thing, which is that I thought it was interesting that Ki Jung's character was the only one to die. Mm. And she was also the only character who didn't replace one of the 
working people in the in the park's home. Oh wow, interesting. She she made her own job and her mm-hmm. own role, carved out her own role within that home, and she wasn't anyone no, 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 to no. take someone else's. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, I had this sense from her that she would have actually been the person in the family to have the most potential to become rich. And mm. we see that in these we see it in the fact that she's so clever in how she gets the job in the first place. And we see it in other little moments like when Kawu says, You really belong in this house. I saw you in that bathtub mm. and you fit here mm-hmm. more than any of us. But and that's an impossibility. It is. She can't exist. Yeah, I know. But so yeah. that's why it's interesting that someone like that, someone who does have, say, the most potential, is wiped out. Ugh. And, oh, yeah. And it really Because she wasn't us. born in the right spot. Like if she had been, if she had been the one to survive instead of Kiwu, I wonder if she would have more success getting her dad I out. I think, I think Bonjun, I was saying, no, she wouldn't. She she couldn't like if she were born as da- as the song, maybe, but she is an impossibility in that she represents this ideal of the American dream. Like she could have that upward mobility, but he's shown us throughout this movie that that's a farce. Mm. It's not an actual reality. You want to believe that she could do that, but nope. Nope. <laughs> <sighs> wow. Thanks, guys. <laughs> It was such a good film. I feel like I'm sure we did not even get close to covering everything that that is involved in this movie. And if we missed a lot of things that are more apparent to someone who's familiar with Korean culture, I I would be curious to know. Shoot us an email because I I can it's just like anything else when you you don't you can't see oftentimes what you're you don't know. And it's true. And so I would be really interested to know if there are lots of little subtleties or or other things uh, that we missed. Even related to, yeah, like Korean culture, but also class in Korea and just class in general. Like we have our own narrow perspective on class. And so this movie is extremely expansive and tells a giant story in the course of two hours. So, yeah, I don't think there's any way that we captured even half of what goes on in it but hopefully we said something interesting and yeah yeah i think if anything uh this is just a really movies like this teach you a lot about what you don't know and Mm -hmm. and how how each of us plays a role in perpetuating certain systems and i don't this is another conversation for another day but where what we can do to begin changing that or or at least just becoming more cognizant of the traps that different people are put into by unfair systems you know what you can do tell be me. conscious with your voting primaries are coming up and the general election is coming up so do your research and vote thank you guys <laughs> <laughs> this has all been a, yeah <laughs> this has all been a sneaky ploy to get you to register to vote this episode is sponsored by rock the vote um. <laughs> oh this was fun i'm i'm so yeah. glad we got to talk about it and hopefully you enjoyed listening we will be dropping a little teaser for the next episode we're gonna talk about so hopefully you can watch or read or listen along with us and 
If you've been listening so far, thanks for being here. Feel free to shoot us an email at overanalyzingpodcast at gmail.com if you have any suggestions or feedback. Mm -hmm. And if not, we'll see you on the pod. See you on the pod, y'all. Thank you. (laughs) Have a good one. Bye. Bye.